Everybody, welcome to another installment of Show to Be with Mike G, the show of life, the show of cooking, the show of beat, Bobby Flay, the national, but mostly about mezcal. Today's guest is the brilliant Danny Mena of Echo and Dumbo and Lonteria. As a chef, as a businessman, and one of the founders of Mezcales de Leyenda, a brilliant collection of multi-state mezcals that you can find at your local mezcaleria we talk about life we talk about creativity and everything in between while sitting at the beautiful suerte in austin texas so without further ado i hope you guys enjoy this great chat with danny mena yeah i mean that you know it's an interesting thing because growing up in mexico i uh I had some friends who were in a band, you know, everybody. Yeah, was yeah. Like, and I really, I, I can't draw, like I can't <laughs> sing, I couldn't play an instrument. Like yeah. I took drum for a little bit and I was just like pure mathematics. And I'm good at math, you yeah. know what I mean? Like, and the way I played the drum was just no hard, no, <laughs> and it was just like one, two, Four on the one, floor is the greatest thing for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, um, so like when I finally, so I went to engineering school, I went to school actually Virginia, Virginia Tech, Tech, right? Virginia yeah. Tech, yeah. And then I decided that I wanted to kind of go into culinary school. And that, and that kind of became my artistic outlet. And I yeah. loved music, like, in high school. I mean, I got into where I, you know, hundreds and hundreds of CDs and, like, yeah. just go down rabbit holes of, like, you know, these different bands. Anybody particularly influential for you? Um, I love Tortoise uh, and, yeah, like, Jessamine. And so even, like, record labels like Cranky uh-huh. and Thrill Jockey, Matador. Like, really yeah, got into, stuff. like, yeah, yeah, some, like, more esoteric stuff that now is a little more common. But at the time, and in Mexico, I had one good friend that kind of was, like, Kind of got me into Sonic Youth and yeah. a little bit into like Polvo and Pavement. And, you know, I got my mixtape and like some of these songs were just like. It's, I mean, because I think we're maybe similar in age. So I think we kind of went to, yeah, we, yeah. The, you know, the, the bands were similar probably. Yeah, yeah, yeah probably. Do you hear Pavement's finally doing a reunion tour? Are they doing yeah. something? Yeah, they've been amazing. talking about this for 10 years and they're finally coming back. Steve Mock was like, okay, fine. <laughs> We we all want it, man. Dude, we uh, totally do. Cause now we got money. We didn't have money then, yeah, right? Yeah. It's like now I'll, now I'll pay the you know seventy bucks for the tickets. You want a shirt? I'll buy two shirts. Shirt. Well, I'll find somebody to keep it. Yeah, of course. But it is an interesting trajectory for you growing up in Mexico City. Yeah. Yeah. Where in Mexico City were you? So it's called like in the northwest part of the city, Wisconsin. So okay. Right and there. you, at that point, as the story goes, ate the same thing every day. Didn't think about. You thought about perhaps how efficient it was as an engineer, right? But not <laughs> how to enjoy it. But it wasn't even, it was just, just my, my lack of, of interest in, in experimenting. Yeah? Like, I, like it, was, it was, it really was always very, like, I just, I like what I like and I didn't want anything else and yeah. that was it. And, and my parents babied me enough that they, that they put up with my, my shenanigans and said, okay. So, that, like, I used to go visit my aunt, like, two hours south. Yeah. Every time I go, it was the same food. Now I go back and visit, and they still serve me the same food. I was like, please, <laughs> no more like this, you know, breaded like beef cutlet. That's like yeah, called milanesa. Yeah. Like no more milanesa. I was like, I love it, but like, you have such good cuisine, and you cook so. My aunt is just an amazing cook. Yeah. And I was like, give me some of the stuff that you that you really are good at, and that you that. Because, but that's that would have worked it back in the day. But that's now, all, of course, and the like, mind and they didn't want has expanded. Yeah. Totally. So, 
you how about this so there, you had a good stint in academics right so as a, like a high school student or whatnot still very drawn to math yeah. very drawn to and, and probably not engineering at that point not really engineering but like just yeah math science just kind of that that type of way of thinking I yeah it was like not a good writer never <laughs> never have been and you know, which now, is funny because you have a book coming out, right? I have a book coming out, but, <laughs> but I, I'm the author, not the writer, which okay. is an amazing thing that those things exist. And so a good friend of mine named Niels Bernstein that's, yeah. is an amazing writer. And, like, you know, I, 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 I pretend like I do some writing and I, you know, put together, like, a paragraph, an intro. A foreword. The foreword's uh-huh, by well, you, right? Yeah. Well, and no, and then he would make it, like, make it half as long and twice as, you know, as Sparkly. interesting and, like, and that's, like, great to the point. And yeah. Like, just, uh, the, that's another art, you know I mean? If, and my wife is a really good writer. And like is an English teacher and oh, knows really? about that. What's up? Uh, she's, she's an English teacher. She's an English oh, teacher. Oh, that's yeah. great. So a bit opposite to track kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. I yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah, she's so she's from Cincinnati, Ohio. So that's how you is that how you know the national? W- yeah, through her, of course. <laughs> no yeah, kidding. Yeah. Like I say, and, she, oh, and that's that's why I know where they're from. Yeah, it's like okay. you know that she was has this like it's like you really like them just because they're from Cincinnati. <laughs> you don't even know if you really like the music that much. It's like no, no, no. It's, it's both. A, but it's uphill battle in Cincinnati, man. Who, who gets out of there? You yeah, know? I know. There's that, there's like, and then the fact that they kind of came together, I think, in Brooklyn. So kind of yeah. both those places are near and dear to her. Yeah. So, was there any expectation about the academic piece? So, rather, what what were your? And I know your folks separated, mm-hmm. divorced later on, but mm-hmm. what were they doing for a living? So my mom was a teacher. Oh, also. Okay. Which so, which subjects? All subjects, or she was a first grade teacher. Okay. First grade teacher, and then my dad worked in the government. So okay. he was like an economist. Yeah. No way. And so then he worked at banks for a little bit, and then he worked a lot with like different sectors in the government. So the way it kind of works in Mexico mm-hmm. is because it's very political party focused. Yeah. So he had his boss that was basically part of his team. So anytime a new party came in or, some, or a new boss was hired, you basically fired the entire team that was there, and then they bring in their entire team. So it's kind of like the White House in a way. And yeah, that's not, I'm yeah. not saying that critically, no, no, yeah, but exactly. that's kind of how, that's it, how is. Kind of it is. Yeah. Oh. So, but in all in every sector within it, and yeah. so you know, and then his boss would get fired, and it was only a matter of like time before he got fired. And then you just kind of wait, yeah. And then his boss would get hired, and you kind of follow this group around, and oh, like, man. and then little by you find other jobs and stuff like that. But it's very, very much. So right now, like in Mexico, because of the change of political party, like yeah. there's a, like the huge the pre turnover. is huge turnover. So a lot of my friends, their parents are pre and all that. And like this party is like dead in the water and everyone's just trying to figure out and hold on until yeah. see what happens in like six or 12 or 18 years. But Man. it's going to be a while. So, Did you travel a bit as a kid? Mm, normal. Yeah. Normal. So, um, you know, in Mexico, we'd always take one trip to go and we drive to like Veracruz or Oaxaca or yeah. Guerrero and we go in Cuauhtla. But we never, I didn't, I didn't really, like when I graduated from high school, we did like a six-week European tour yeah. with my friends. Oh, nice. So that's when we kind of went around and got to really experience a whole other world. Sure. But out of that, I, th- I never left Mexico or the United States growing up. Like it was just those two places. So it was having a, and I, I'll go on a limb here maybe, but having a father who's an economist or in economics, probably some academic background, right? Yeah. I imagine maybe multiple degrees, which I think is required of that profession. Yeah, I mean, he did that, and then he actually got his uh, master's at the new school in, uh, in New York, so they moved to New York for a few years. No way. And so he, uh, Were you already out of the house at that point? No, no, this was before I was even born. Oh, I got even, you. Okay. Not even, uh, not even Man, a so sparkle in my dad's eye. Um, but the New York water was running through him. Uh, it was interesting. <laughs> so they went, so my dad like you know, liked the mats, and like, it yeah, was like yeah. these things that there was always like this, that he had a love. And so my, my parent, my mom's American, my dad's Mexican. My mom moved to Mexico to learn Spanish, met my dad. So my mom's from like a small little town in the United States and my dad's really? from a small little town in Mexico, like complete opposite, like my blonde hair, blue eyes. Uh-huh. Like now she got into her family tree and like 
basically on the Mayflower, her family came over. Holy I mean, like, shit, like, that's crazy. And then my dad is as Mexican as as as, as they come. You know, the day is long. You know, I, I mean, it's crazy how like they both. So they met, and then they got married in Mexico, and then they moved to the U.S. And my dad didn't speak one word of English. Yeah. So he worked as a mechanic at a place called Grease Monkey. And he learned English enough to that he even went to, then they moved to New York and yeah. he got his master's there in the, the new school. Dude, that's brilliant. Uh-huh, so that drive, that kind of ambition or like that adaptability, do you think you got that too? I think so. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's funny because I never, now I really appreciate kind of what he did and how hard it was yeah. to even like, I mean, to go to a country without speaking the language. So growing up, we always spoke English in my house because he didn't want to oh. forget his English. Because in Mexico, obviously, we're going to speak Spanish, TVs right, in Spanish, no matter Spanish, what. Right? No matter what. But because of the, uh, because of that, he wanted to continue to, to, to because language is so hard. That as soon as you stop using it, you know, it, it goes away. Well, I'm, t- I'm going through that right now, too, because it's, Spanish is, I hear it all the time, thankfully. And I would just got back from Juarez this past weekend. Okay. And uh, oddly enough, my, the love of my life, her father was an economist in Guadalajara. Huh. And then he left and opened up Club Quince in Juarez, oh, okay. which is a crazy cra- bar. But, but what I realized is that, to be immersed in it and to be kind of almost like immobilized by it, because you have to, because I just have to pay attention. I'm like, okay, that get get that get that. Mm-hmm. Um, that's was the most effective Spanish had ever been for me. Yeah, because you just you can't you have to just keep hearing, keep re- remembering it. So the same thing goes, I guess, with for English, sure. of course. For you sure. know? I mean, both languages you have to continually like. So when I came to the U.S., I went to school Virginia Tech. Yeah. There's no Hispanics in Virginia Tech. I There's no Mexicans. Didn't have <laughs> you mean? So for like four or five years, really, I used very little Spanish. And then being in New York and working in the kitchen, I barely speak English some days. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, yeah, like yeah. It, so it was, it was interesting that there's and you you start forgetting words that like like a belt buckle, things that you don't use on a regular basis. Yeah, right. And all of a sudden, so you have like the, what they term pocho, which is like half English, half Spanish, uh-huh. and, and it just becomes part of it. And because all my friends are bilingual. Growing up, we went to the American school in Mexico, and so they're all Mexicans, but they all, we all, at any time you couldn't think of a word, you just say it in the other language, and, and no one thought even twice about it, because right, yeah. it was, and so, like, when they graduated from high school, and they went to, like, Itam and Tech, and all these, like, Mexican universities, like, they, were, they were blown away with also how, you know, improper their kind of Spanish, or just, like, un- incomplete, Yeah, that there was also for them, like, you have to, and I, so I, I really strive very hard right now with it when I speak a language, to speak only in that language. That's I mean, and to be and, and it's tough. It, it is tough, but I admire that. And I, like, I I tell you one of the reasons is we kind of we'll talk about mezcal, of course, here in a moment. But one of the reasons I feel it's not uncomfortable going to Mexico. I never feel uncomfortable being around people because I appreciate it and the culture and all that. But what I feel unfair about is me expecting the mezcalero to tell me in my language what he does in his way. And I felt like it was the greatest disrespect I paid to these guys, no matter how many planques I've been to, right? Yeah. So that was it. That was finally the impetus for it. And I'm like, I have to know. Of course. You know? And yeah. so, but, but I feel like we don't revere the other cultures or the king of whale, the whale, Wales, right? Which just dropped today, right? Anyway, yeah. that's a yeah. joke. But yeah, of course, of course. But no, I, I mean, it's funny. So yesterday was uh, you know, Berlin bar, or Brooklyn Bar Convent. Yeah. Um, and, uh, or Bar Convent, Brooklyn. And, uh, there's these, and everybody has their badges, and it says kind of where you're from and everything. Yeah. So these guys were from Belgium. I could speak in French, so you know, I said we, oui, and I said a couple words in French, and they're like, oh, <laughs> and they're like so like blown away that like there was an effort to try to, and everywhere I go, yes. like I went on my honeymoon to uh, Turkey. Yeah. And and I was like, I have like I know nothing of this language, so I bought like a little book, and like I was like studying, 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 so I could do a couple sentences. Yeah. And because I'm kind of dark skinned, and I learned to say merhaba in a very, I think, proper accent. 
Did I come in? I said like Merhaba, which is hello. Yeah. And then people would just like start getting like, oh, no, 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 I'm so sorry. He's like, I don't, I really don't speak any Turkish. I know like three words. I know how to order a beer. I know how to order this. I'm right. gonna say thank you. You know, hello, goodbye. Dude, but but, that, it was, but but they appreciate it. like, and, and if you're gonna be part of the culture, if you're getting into Mescal and stuff like that, well, then you really have to yeah. to learn all about it. And you know, it's something that we've kind of it's the ultimate respect. I think so. No. So food comes into your life. You were doing private parties or events at Virginia Tech. Just in my home, yeah. Just, just at like your house, just right? in like my house, and so it was like making yeah. like sopas, which is like a very typical kind of Mexican like street food, and yeah. and it was like people would come over, and it was just, and I didn't even at that time I still didn't enjoy eating as much as I enjoyed cooking. Interesting. So like of the process, just the process, and like and and the hosting, and like that most of the times when you're and and I think this is true for most chefs that when you're cooking, you really don't eat. Great point. Yeah. I mean, that I think, oh, like, I come home every time from work when I used to be on the line a lot, and I'm like, I'm starving. My wife's like, you've been around food all day long. I was like, I know, but, like, I'm working. I'm not, I, you know, there's this weird, like, yeah. and so, and now I, I enjoy eating more than cooking, but um, but it, for a long time, I mean, it was it was just that whole, you know, the social aspect, getting people together, and they were experiencing the food and talking and, you know, and, of course, drinking and everything, and the yeah. constantly, you know, at that time, I was, I was, I couldn't cook without drinking. Like, that was hand in hand. Yeah, yeah. Then, then when I went to culinary school and everything, it became so serious for me that I couldn't drink when I was cooking. I was like, we're cooking, we're working here. And then after that, and now I've, I've come to a nice balance, I think. But oh, like, It does, man, because it, it drink too much, eat too much. But it's yeah. like, well, okay, no, there's somewhere right somewhere, in the middle that's, yeah. that's a nice compromise. Um, was, there, yeah. was there a moment then when you were doing these kind of bits at your house and hosting people that are like, I mean, I, this engineering thing is going to, I can't, I got to do something. So, so I... Uh, I was getting more into it. I went to school at Virginia Tech, which didn't have anything really related to, you know, hospitality. They had hospitality and tourism management. Yeah. Um, and so I was like, okay, I want to, I want to change to that major, um, because of all the classes I had taken. I was this was my junior year, that I would have taken three more years. And so I was like, ah. Oh, so I, I, but I was still going to do it. So I called my mom and I was like, this is what I really want to do. And she's like, do, do what you feel is best. And then I called my dad and he was like, don't be an asshole. Finish your career, <laughs> finish your, you know, engineering, uh -huh. and then after that, then you can do whatever you want. But you have that foundation, you have that. The same conversation so, I had, yeah. Which I think he was right. Um, Did you finish the up day, then? So, I was like, I'm not going to study for my finals, yeah. for my junior year. And if I pass, I move on. And if I don't pass, I make my change. Oh, I love it. And I passed. Oh, I don't know how. No. And I didn't study for finals. So, it's kind <laughs> of... And then, my, so that was like, that was the end of my junior year. And so, I only had one year left. So, then my senior year, by then, it's kind of, you're doing your projects. And it was, it was fine. And I, there was enough about it that I liked. Yeah. So, when I finished, I still went into... Like I moved back to Mexico for a little while, and then I got a job in North Carolina where I interned before and worked as an engineer. And then I was like, okay, what am I doing here? So yeah. then I moved to New York because I was like, I still can go to culinary school. Absolutely. But then at the same time, I can also uh, I can kind of pursue. So I tried. So I worked as like an engineer, and I worked for a diamond company in New York. No way. And so I kind of learned that, and I didn't like the politics. And there, there's a certain aspect that I like. And now that like having a Moscow company, there's a lot of like production side and things like that. There's I studied industrial engineering, which is it, all yeah. this, you know, and it's a way of thinking that, like, I love the idea that I can get back into it, uh, you know, and in work both way. sides and do it. Exactly. Yeah, that's great. And so, um, so it was kind of when I got to New York and I realized that I read Kitchen Confidential uh, and it was one of those that I was like, I'm going to do this. Yeah. So, you know, I got a loan and went to culinary school in the evening, worked during the day, and it was like the best nine months of my life. Man. It was just so interesting. Like, just so much fun. And it was like 25 and it was just like. Perfect time to do perfect it. Perfect time. A little money saved up from North Carolina, so I was living in New York, my apartment. Like it was just like, you know, it was just. Dude, like, it, it, it's it's a sweet spot. It is. That's where that's when you write a book, right? Yeah. You bought that sweet. That's, yeah. I think that's Kitchen Confidential era for Tony, right? Yeah, for sure. I think so. Sure. And so, 
we that's when gosh in texas you know people <laughs> they settle down have kids and stuff but like that's the prime time to go live yeah you know and i i, I love that i like there's like this twinkle in your eyes as you kind of think about this, yeah. this nostalgia related to it okay so so here's you know any wonderful passion it's easy to work for someone else maybe they're Maybe they're assholes or stuff, but that you just deal with that, right? Because yeah. it's about the trade and the craft, and you just appreciate it. But you took it a step further, and you're like, no, I'm at my own restaurant now. And it, was this 2007 or 2007. Eight? When, yeah. Two, no, 2008. Okay. 2008. First restaurant. First restaurant. So, so yeah, I went to culinary school, worked for, like, uh, had like a little internship at Blue Hill, but then really worked at the Modern and learned about that, and then... My partner in the restaurants, who was a friend at the time only, um, him and I were talking about doing a taco truck. And this was the idea that it was going to be really stylish. So before, like, trucks were a thing, yeah, right. we were thinking about doing this, and it was going to be super stylish and decked out. Like, we'll make all our tortillas from scratch and, like, really do, like, things properly because Mexican food in New York was still lacking a lot then. I bet. Um, and so, and it's still, it's not ingrained in the culture. I mean, the amount of Mexican restaurants that are just on the street. Yeah. You know, well, like Texas is a different deal. Texas is a yeah. different deal. But it's, but I mean, so as much as there is good Mexican food in New York, there isn't a culture that you see in California, Chicago, Texas. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, absolutely. So like, we just have a lot of restaurants. So inevitably you're going to find stuff, but yeah. it's not like you can't go to a store and find a good tortilla. You have to really seek them out. Dude, and like queso fresco, cotija, like all this stuff. But it, we were very lucky. We yeah. had fiesta. I don't know if you've ever been to that grocery store. No. It is... It, very Mexican ingredient focused. I, I I went to one in San Diego and I was like, God, New it's, York needs one great. Of those. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And you find all these kinds of chilies and stuff. You're like, oh shit, I didn't realize this even cascabel <laughs> fresh. Really? You know. Anyway, Have so um, you found the opportunity. So we found the opportunity. So we like we we talked about doing this, and then I realized that I was going to be like the asshole on the truck, and like my partner, like you always need somebody with a Department of Health certificate. And I was like, you know, I went to culinary school. I like the idea of this. I really don't want to spend like. The, sh- the movie Chef, like, you know what yeah, I mean? It's, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, no one really wants to spend all this day on the truck. You yeah, know what oh, I mean? Like, agreed. So, it's, uh, so we decided to kind of put that. I was like, this is too much is falling on me. And the, my two partners that were going to kind of be there, like, you guys don't cook, so you're not going to really be there and I at all. So um, my partner at the time was working at a coffee shop because he was also, he's like a screenwriter. And that's oh, what he cool. wanted to focus. So it was kind of was just in the industry by necessity, but because he really focused on his craft. And then uh, there was this kind of, we had a liquor license and he went to the owner and it's like, we should do something else here. And so they tried to do the bar and it never really, it was a big open space. Uh-huh. So when, because there was no one there, no one would come in. It was this well, kind of catch 22. Yeah, it looks you know, empty even it though it's empty. probably not. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so uh, he's like, we need a food emma, but we can make a little more of a restaurant. Then, so, and at that time, because I kind of quit my job to do the taco truck and then I went to go work and understand a little bit about bread baking and I really wanted to kind of get into that. We did a proposal to the owner and said, uh, and at the time, the term pop-up didn't even exist. So we called it a reoccurring culinary event. <laughs> <laughs> didn't catch on a little, the name. A little wordy, but a little wordy. Works, it works. And so uh, she's like, sure. So Thursday, Friday, Saturday, I did all the cooking in my house. I'd bring it to the restaurant. At 6 p.m., they would shut down at 7 p.m. So we opened the restaurant at 7 o'clock at night. Oh, which is man. A, and at 7 o'clock, we do that. And then it was just him and me. Oh, that's great. For like six months. Would you, had, was it a visceral, like super amazing experience kind of engaging with these people and doing all your f- it was amazing i mean like so many people like had like the people that got it and, and liked it and like you know it's like it's like you can tell that you cook with love and i was like i've never been to a restaurant where i felt that yeah much less the, how how you impart that just making a taco you know what i mean but i wanted to do food that i that i know and i love and that was not 
scene really in New York. Yeah. Um, so we made all of our tortillas in house and things like that. That now, you know, it's commonplace if everywhere. You don't but do it exactly. Right. Yeah. But back then, it didn't exist. Yeah, that's crazy. There was wow. no. And so, like, there was the, 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 in New York, there was kind of the really cheap mom and pop shops that had good seasoning, yeah. but not good ingredients. Great. You know what I mean? Not good a good point. place. Yeah. Not a place that you not like where we're sitting right now. That's beautiful. And then there were the really fancy places that were good, chef driven, but lost the touch of. You know, a little bit of grease coming out down yeah. your pants as you eat a taco. You know what I mean? Like a little bit of that heart that, that exists. Too, in too refined. Too refined. Yeah. Too refined. And it has its place. But it's not like, oh, let's go get some good Mexican food. Like there really wasn't like a, a kind of a day-to-day place, like a neighborhood sort of joint that yeah. was doing things right. Um, and that was kind of what we, that we wanted to do. Um, and so little by little kind of people noticed. And, and I, you know, was the back of the house by myself. So I washed all the dishes. I cooked everything. Like Man. all did everything by myself. And my partner did everything on the front of the house. And good, did you think it was a good balance for you? It was a good balance. It was funny. I always joke with him because at the end of the night when we closed up and we wanted kind of late night, so we always stayed open until one in the morning. Yeah. And, you know, we, and the first we started off, I and mean, we were probably selling a couple hundred bucks in a day. Like, it was a very slow sort of – and we were young. We had energy, and so it was okay. Yeah. But, like, at one o'clock, it was like, okay, time to close up. And it would take me literally an hour, no matter how much I got everything ready – an hour to like clean up everything, sweep and mop. Yeah. And my partner, all he had to do was like count the money and like close up the drawer and it would take him one hour too. And I was like, you're, really? like, you're dragging your feet a little bit so you don't help me like wash the toilet at the end of the night. Like I feel like this is an unfair balance. And so, uh, but he was, he was a good hard worker so I knew it wasn't. Like it was always like kind of a little joke. Yeah. Um, but it, but it, it, you know, it was, it was nice to experience everything and understand a little more of, you know, that, that when you get to a certain place and you start hiring people and you start managing, yeah. you know, you, you say, I've done that. I, I, I've done that before I can do that I know like you know how hard it is to wash dishes and I know how easy it is to like it's let's, let's not complain about certain things that aren't but necessary you wouldn't, but you wouldn't know unless you knew exactly so you you paid your dues ultimately and, right yeah in a sense like you know for Stephanie for the restaurant like we, we worked really hard and we had I mean so after about a year we had a good write up and all of a sudden the restaurant was and so that's where I met David Sudo um, who uh who, and somebody introduced me to him, and they're like, you know, they was, was like, oh, he owns a tequila. I was like, oh, great, another tequila. <laughs> like, no clue what he was. He came in, he ate a little bit of food, he liked the food, and, you know, and so I guess maybe he saw something and kind of started taking care of us and started, I knew nothing of tequila, I knew nothing of the liquor industry. Wow. That we were like, he was like, you know, there's diffusers and column stills, and none of that meant anything to me. Like, I had no, like, in the... I mean, in Mexico, we drank, like, I drank rum and Cokes and, like... Yeah, not and, and stuff that was native to, ultimately... Made not native to Mexico yeah. and, 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 and not enough even care of what, how, you know, and agave. It comes from tequila, you know what I mean? Like, right. that's tequila, okay. And gin, it's, you know, it's gin. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I have no clue what botanicals they were in there or any, like, there was really no, no knowledge. And this is all, obviously, in the 90s in Mexico. Yeah. No I mean, one did. A, yeah, exactly. So, to think, to think how far we've come, just to say that much, dude, it's crazy, right? It's crazy. So, he was kind of like a... a and so he was little by little kind of helping us and like explaining to us about like tequila and, and the different like processes. Yeah. And like, so we did a, a, a paired dinner with like tequilas. Um, and we came up. And even at the time to me, I thought pairing liquor with food was a little bit too intense. Ah. And David Sudo's pal, of course, had already gone well past that and sure, was ready, course, to, raised, yeah. ready to consume both and understand it. But I was down for it. Like, you know, and little by little, like all these sort of things have been the path that kind of leads us to, to where we are. Man, that's... He's been a mentor. To take time to kind of reflect on some of these folks, right? Like David, which we were talking about the Marfa Agave Festival or Agave Marfa Festival, whatever, and he was there. And, and just yeah. to think about what he exudes in terms of love and knowledge. He never judges. No. He speaks with truth, and he's always there to help. And I feel like that is one of the principal pillars of 
mezcal, sharing, truth. Yeah. You know? Find, finding your journey. I mean, we're like, when we asked him about, like, it's like, you know, certain processes that he didn't agree with, but he never told us, like, this brand, no, this brand, yes, this brand, no. Exactly. He was just like, and then finally, like, I can't find any information. Can you, can, let me know. Yeah. Diffuse or not diffuse it, please just tell me. But he rarely would ever say anything because he was always like, this is your journey, this is your path. And if you like this, if you like that, then, then it's, you know what I mean? Right now, somebody here in, uh, in Texas was, we have a new brand ambassador who's uh-huh. helping us out. And so they, uh, they, we have mezcals from Oaxaca and other states. We're in Oaxaca, I mean, I, I was going to say 9 out of 10, but probably 9,999 out of 10,000 are Taona crushed. Right. And right, everybody right. in Oaxaca uses Taona. In Guerrero, almost nobody uses a Taona. In Durango, almost no one uses a Taona. Yeah. So they, that's, and now traditional mezcal is made using a small little mill. Yeah. And so uh, Michoacan, same thing. You know what I mean? And so um, they're like, well, how can you call this artisanal if you're not using a Taona? And I was Dude, like, come on. I know. And it's, but it's so easy to like criticize instead of like, well, well, I mean, if artisanal should be clay, then we can't use anything with copper because that's, you know, obviously the Spanish influence. And if we're talking about real typical mezcal then it all has to be like right you know so the, this is a great point and now let's talk about mezcal and this journey but to the point of pedro who we were talking about jimenez mm-hmm. he said it doesn't matter what, what do they call it is mezcal fine but i see a fine that's what they call it don't try to call that but i see a mezcal don't, it's called tepe <laughs> or it's tucci so use the words that they use and stop taking basically what is a very American kind of perspective. And I'm not saying you and I necessarily yeah. have that. But putting that, those glasses on and being like, well, but no, but that's what artisanal means. It's copper or, or yeah. Tohono Crush. Yeah. Bullshit. Because everybody does it different. And if it's been a cultural artifact to make mezcal for eons, let them fucking do it how they're going to do it. Anyway, that's the, the bit of the soapbox. Yeah. But where did you start? Because this tequila... Because it starts with tequila, I think. It and also then it ex- tequila. expands out into the nuance and the vivid colors of the different cultures of mezcal. Yeah. So I know you had a very mezcal forward menu at one of your spots, right? Yeah, I mean, the one that we have current now is very mezcal forward. But I mean, when we started off, so like with Echo and Dumbo, of course, we had tequila. And it was interesting. So when we took over this kind of pop-up, there was leftover horrible garbage tequila. Yeah. And so we were like, oh, well, we'll do a happy hour and we'll kind of get rid of this. <laughs> they were so bad, the margaritas, that people were like, I'd rather pay full price and, <laughs> and, and, and get good tequila oh, than this crap that you're selling. So we just, it just stayed there. We're like, okay, fine. We're not going to get rid of it because yeah. I don't want to sell it. And I was like, if I'm doing really good food, there's no reason why you shouldn't do really good drinks. Right. You can't have right. a good band with a shitty drummer. Exactly. You just can't. It's a backbone. A hundred percent. And so, uh, so we kind of, and so we started using uh, Los Danzantes as a mezcal. Oh. I mean, at that time, there was three or four brands. Um, those Danzantes we knew kind of from Mexico and everything and, yeah, it was, yeah. and you know it was just a beautiful mezcal and so we did our cocktails with that and at that point rent was cheap we didn't know a whole lot it, was, it, it, it fit the price point that we were like okay yeah, right. and so uh, and so we started off with Herradura for tequila and those Danzantes for mezcal were two simple kind of beginnings yeah and, uh, and we started learning about mezcal and everything and then of course learning through like David Tudor with tequila but so my two partners had opened up the first mezcal bar in Mexico City called La Botica Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. So that was their, uh, that's how they got started. And so my partner in one of my restaurants right now is a friend at the time, and he said, who works with us, um, we go down to Mexico. It's like, oh, we went to, and everybody called that Mezcaleria. Uh-huh. So we went down to Mezcaleria and learned about that and blah, blah, blah. And so, and I never had gone until later, but of course I'd heard about it and kind of, and then through a friend of a friend, these two guys started the line Mezcales de Leyenda, and they were looking to get into the U.S. market. 
So it existed in Mexico before. I didn't exist in Mexico. That. Yeah. Same yeah. bottle and everything at that point. Same bottle. I mean, the exact really? same exact same mold of the bottle. Like, Got it. Okay. There was no. Uh, we had no brand name. Like it was just in the etched on in the glass. I see. So they had it just by the names of the animals. So even to this day, if you go to Mexico, if you ask for like mezcal de leyenda, chances are they're not going to know it. But if you say give me a nayaca or a tlacuache, uh -huh. they'll know that. Ah, oh, dude, I had no idea. That's crazy. So it's, it's a really interesting to see how they, uh, how how kind of not knowing any. It was more like. We're talking about mezcal. We're like my partner loved animals, and we'll kind of, you know, find a good way to to, to name them in in, in in interesting ways yeah. to give some character. But really, in, in a you know a marketing sense, we lost brand identity. Like oh, we, so absolutely. now it's like like we have to keep reminding people it's called mezcal de leyenda. You want to buy a store? Like it is a business that um. So these guys, I talked to them on the phone. I was like, you know, I know nothing of, and at the if I at the time thought I knew nothing, what I really knew was. Beyond nothing. Beyond nothing. And <laughs> yeah. so I was like, I know nothing of mezcal. I know nothing of the liquor industry. And I know even less about importing a product. But I love Mexico. And the only thing I can say about myself is that I'm a hard worker. Yeah. So I was like, you know what? So I flew down to Mexico. I went to Guerrero. I met our producer there. We, uh, for a little while, they decided to build a bottling plant and just like in Chilpancingo, okay. um, in Guerrero. Because we have a mezcal from Durango, one from Oaxaca, one from Guerrero. It was kind of like central. Central. Right? Yeah. So they thought it would make sense to go there but they never used it and it was just too far away. They're from Mexico City, so there's no point. Gotcha. But I went to go see that and then it was like, okay. And, and then in Guerrero, they call distilleries, not palencas, they call them fabricas, factories. So uh -huh. it's like, okay, let's go look at this factory. So I'm expecting to see, and also there's Don Chucho, which is like a 70-year-old man, two fermentation tanks, a hole in the ground, yeah. you know, and the still, and so the fermentation tanks were even being used. So it's got like, you know, stagnant water that's in there and it's kind of gross. Oh, yeah. and like. What is this, man? Like I, <laughs> my engineering I, spidey sense. I, I know. Is to, you know. This is something's really weird here. And so, uh, and we drank some mezcal, and I was like, God, this is delicious. I love this. You know, I mean, that producer, which no longer he retired, probably, probably ten years ago. Oh, really? So shortly after. Um, but we still use this. Dis we rent his distillery because it's magical. Where the just the yeast that are there. Sure. But he had a touch, and I mean, it was like, I mean, that Guerrero mezcal was was just really mind. You still have some of it from his. His tenure? No, man. No, we don't have any. I, you know, some someone, Neil's the guy who helped me with the cookbook. Yeah. Also, he showed me a picture that he has a bottle from him, but no. because we use corks, natural cork, uh -huh. I imagine we're gonna lose uh, a lot of uh, angel share. That's right. And, yeah. I, and I don't know if it's gonna be a, a valid, like it had it been completely, you know, closed off and being very uh, airtight. Yeah. It would have been a, a better example. So I don't know. Like I had some that was like seven or eight year old bottles of our mezcal that were kind of been open and closed yeah. and they were just it's so not flat the same. And not yeah the same. that's a great word for and it so I was like mm. man um, it's, but the, it starts somewhere it always it does right it starts somewhere man so you said 10 years ago now so 10 years ago we've been in the United States so in 2008 so then I talked to David Sura I was like so how do I do this <laughs> you know what I mean <laughs> so he introduced me to some people and, and it was funny because when we first got started we were talking about Tito's uh -huh. and it was already uh, like and like what Tito's is now and what they were 10 years ago is different very different deal, thing. Yeah. But even then, 10 years ago, it was already kind of on the map. You sure. know what I mean? It's, it's a slow progression, even though it's quick. It's not, in you the, know, it takes time. Things, 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 right, yeah. things, but like it's, it's, since I've been around, like Tito's has been something, which is interesting. And so, um, so like he gave me a lawyer and we looked into that and like found out about like importing and whether we can distribute it and learning all the things. And so finally we found our importer it was like a record in, in Pennsylvania. We found a little distributor in New York called the Little Wine Company. Uh -huh. They had like three or four salespeople. And then little by little, we got into one state and we got into another state. And, and it was just really like going from account to account, from person to person, 
tasting mezcal and yeah. talking about like you know Ron Cooper did a lot for the category here in the United States. Absolutely. Um, and there was something that like people, I mean, then people knew about mezcal when we got there. But I was talking to Arik from uh, Financio Mezcal. Like when him and I started, because he started, I we started our brand in Mexico before he did, but then oh, okay. he was he got into the U.S. like I think a year before we. Um, there was probably less than ten brands in the whole market. Not crazy. I mean, it was like that. There was one moment when I because we have a mezcal called Peloton de la Muerte, which Vida his Fidencio Classico uh-huh. and Peloton de la Muerte were completely out of stock in New York. So literally, like there was no priced mezcal for a cocktail oh, at that man. point. Like it was completely dry. That now there's so many brands. Yeah, but it's interesting that like, how do you feel about the so? I, this is great for me because I, I knew you'd been a part of this industry for a long time, but I didn't realize that Landa had been around 10 years already, which mm-hmm. is in the States, which yeah. is remarkable. And it's finally to me is becoming even more powerful, even more visible. But given that the market has increased in terms of those marks, dude, it's been super saturated, which has other downfalls. But just from a, as a business owner, how do you feel about the growth of the category in itself? I, I think it's fantastic. I mean, it's obviously like you know there was a, an article that uh, that Esteban and 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 I had the same quote and the and he what the writer was trying to say was something that I didn't agree with, um, and basically it was for the New York Times and it was talking about mezcal and it's kind of either sub uh, either it was like the subtitle or the final sentence was like drink mezcal but not too much. Yeah. And I was like, no, drink as much mezcal as you want to, you know. Yeah, right, right, uh, like right. I'm not advocating alcoholism, no, but, like, but but you should not be limiting your mezcal consumption because you're worried about a producer or you're worried about the agave. Like right. the blue agave, they didn't plant enough five years ago. They didn't plant enough three years ago. The pricing is going up. The people that planted and are selling agave are making a lot of money. Absolutely. The people that are producing mezcal are paying a higher price and they have a choice to either consumer pays it, we absorb the cost. Like, no, no one is being forced. There's no indentured servants. Like, right. you know what I mean? Like, it's, this it's is, business, it's man. It's business. And so, yeah. and, 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 and if people and white people, like, you've seen it with tequila over the, you know, the decades of how the price goes up and down and up and down because a plant that takes seven to 10 years to reach maturity. Yeah. And you don't know what the demand is going to be in 10 years from now. And so everyone right now is planting because there's a lot of money. The price is going up. And then all of a sudden the price starts to go down and then people stop planting. Same thing. It's just economics, right? It's economics. And yeah. so it's kind of like, so, so that idea to me of, 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 you know, what mezcal is, that like, when I was just thinking about it, like really for Del Maguey and Ron Cooper, it was, it was a very smart transition from tequila to what he was selling at the time, which yeah. now they've expanded their portfolio. Sure, but yeah. it was all Espadín, it was all Oaxaca, and the only thing I'm talking about is Chichicapa. I'm talking about San Juan, you know, yeah. Yeah. I'm talking about Barradas. Like, it was just town to town. And just but and this producer and that producer, but it was exactly like the same same agave, same region. Yeah. So you really got to kind of experience kind of terroir, and it was a very nice way to start to see a little bit of what the next thing is. Absolutely. And then now every brand that you see, all from Oaxaca, and they all have different types of agaves that are wild or semi wild, and right. your tepestates and your jabalis and all those sort of things. And we, when we started with our brand ten years ago, our Oaxaca our espadín was was our best seller, and I was always expecting. The Guerrero and the Durango, which we started off with just those three, to be a much bigger sales because it was like the flavor, already, man. Well, of course, and you already have, you know, and, and at the time, like, you know, because there were so few brands, anybody that cared about mezcal would carry all of, you know, the Maguey's. Right. Yeah, so yeah. they'd have their eight different espadillas from different towns. I was like, if you have any care about a, like about mezcal, you're immediately going to pick up a Guerrero and Durango because that's obviously something that no one has. It's a whole new world. Exactly. Yeah. And it was flavor profiles that people were not used to. That it takes time, even for the people that love mezcal. Yeah. Like right now, I was in Atlanta like six months ago. And the reception that we had from our mezcals was like the best I'd ever seen. 
Um, and, and our mezcal producers have been making it for generations. By making it more and more, con- like, uh, right now I think we're in a sweet spot. Yeah. That we're producing enough that there is more knowledge on the fermentation, the distillation, like, of course. even though they've been doing it for generations, they would produce three months a year, they come back, and like, what are all the effects? Like, oh, it just takes five days, because there's like, the typical thing what they do is they cut heads, is like, it's a bucket. Yep, and yep. if the bucket breaks, then maybe they have a bigger bucket or a smaller bucket. Like, Dude, it's imprecise in a way. Super imprecise. Which is, does that drive you nuts as an engineer? No, 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 I love it. I, I love that. I mean, I always, I always make the really, really asinine um, question of, why do you do this? Yeah. And I was like, because that's the way it's done, asshole. Yeah, like, dude, that's it, right? And it's like, that's the best answer ever because it's always like that. It's always like and that. And so we can look at it a little more analytically and say, well, the reason, uh, we'll talk about this so tall thing off the, because yeah. I learned something crazy about it. But nonetheless, like, people are like, weather change, the temperature is a variable, the size of the bucket's a variable, the type of plant's a variable, the rain, the soil, like everything. The yeast. Dude, because yeast, it's all natural yeah. yeast and so sometimes a yeast will consume it quicker than another that's I mean, like, a, yeah that's why it's almost like every single time it's a beautifully unique snapshot of the moment of like a, a straight up picture right really well said yeah, yeah thanks yeah totally but, um, but that's, it. And that's it. it I love that yeah I mean that's what it is and so like you know there's a flavor and like and it's really interesting especially like uh, like the Durango the Cenizo it's an agave that you only really see in this region of yeah. Mexico and so how much of the flavor is thanks to the agave? How much is it because of the yeast or the wood that they're used or the soil? Like all these sort of things that like there isn't enough, like, you know, Pinot Noir grape, you've seen it in like, you know, you see it in right. Oregon, you see it in Burgundy, you see it in other places and you know what the kind of flavor is and then what, of course, you get from like the terroir. Yeah. With agave, you still, there's not enough. Dude, it's, it's a, it, what we think we know is still only a fraction of what there is to know. A fraction. You I mean, know, and like, I love that. Yeah, because everything is new. Each so, you've got a apparently a staff training here in just a few minutes. But going through these mezcals, the Pueblo is my favorite. Thank you. And it's because it tastes unlike anything I've ever had before. But so is the Guerrero. It tastes like something I've never had before. But then so is the Drago. It's all of it, dude. And that to me is why mezcal is exciting. And you can hear them. They're, they're already like warming up in the cow. <laughs> Hooting and hollering but, for you. But, but it is. I mean, it's this thing that, like, you know, the tequila is beautiful not to, to knock it. But, you know, the, the, it is it's one agave, one region. There's only so much variance that you can get from you got that. It. Yeah. It's Where, the, fl- the, the one analogy, not to talk yeah. about, is a, you get a filet mignon or you buy a ribeye. Which one would you pick? It's you know, easily, right? Easy. Yeah, easy. Easy. So that's it. It's the flavor. Yeah. Um, so with that, I mean, and, and with that, and, like, going talking about, like, the journey, I mean, the producers, the people, the land, the traditions, what people eat, yeah. all these sort of things that happen in every region changes a lot. That's a good you know yeah. I mean? And so like, so every time I get to go down, I meet different producers and I go to Durango and we go to Michoacan and like understanding all of that to me is, is, is like I always, uh, you know, I come back always intoxicated and, and not because of the alcohol. With knowledge. With just knowledge. Yeah. And, and, and then I always realize how little knowledge i have as well i love that like you know what i mean like i, I can tell you the process of mezcal perfectly and I, I could in theory like make a mezcal i know i would kill you if i, if I actually <laughs> had the, had the uh, misfortune of like distilling and fermenting you know there's just so much that they understand and know and and and, and when, why they do certain things yeah. that like just understanding when the plant is mature and how to like i mean dude i like it because we don't we can't overthink it because no matter how much we think and we try to pin something down it's pointless because it will always change and it'll always be Mystical and another, yeah. and 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 that's and what like Pedro Jimenez was saying. They're like, and this is what mezcal is in this area, and this is what they do, and yeah. that's how they do it. They're like, we so what we try to do with our brand is like, 
I don't I don't want to change anything. Like if these guys have decided to to go with a, a mechanical till, fine, great. That's that's what they do. Yeah. I mean, am I going to come in and say no, no, no? That's not the way we do it in Mexico. We have to use like yeah, who's the spokesman like, anyway, right? Of course. I was like, well, Mexico, I'm in Mexico, and in Durango, this is the way we do it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like. So it's so there's there's a certain amount that like you have to appreciate with what they do. Of course, and that's and there's going to be evolution over time, and there's going to be changes, and there's going to be some that are positive and some that are negative. And yeah. I mean, mezcal is not made now the way it was made 300 years ago. But maybe that's okay. Yeah, I mean, right? I, what I'm drinking now, I love. You know, I'm, I'm very happy. So like, you know, what I mean, like, it's not a. I think. I mean, I think there's there's something that if we can, you know, help our producers. Like, I'm not a big fan of the Taona personally because. It's inefficient, man. It, well, no, and what what the horse? I mean, like it's, oh, it's the animal, cr- yeah. the animal yeah. cruelty. I mean, it's 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 a, it's and as you get busier and busier, like this horse just goes around in a circle, you know, ten hours a day crushing agave and trying to eat tr- trying to eat the the agave because it's so delicious and they're constantly beating it, so it won't like. It's it's there, rough, man. There, there's it's this, like there's this like romantic idea that your producer's gonna have wrinkles and scars and like. You know, he's going to look like he's 30 years older than what he is because he's lived a hard life. And, you know, that typical black and white picture of, like, the indigenous Mexican that, yeah, that is, you know, beautiful. But if we could give some tools to make this life a little bit easier, Should. shouldn't we? Yeah. Like, wouldn't it be better? I mean, that's the reason why this invention happens. Like, can we, can we still make something that is traditional, delicious, something that he's proud about? Yeah. That doesn't, like, it's not as taxing. Like, you know, we have a mezcal that's, like, all hand crushed. And it takes four guys four days to crush this. Like... If, if in a mechanical till they would do it in you know an hour that's right because they're small teeny batches like yes there's something really beautiful about it yes there's something really nice but at the same time if that if that exists and we can make a mezcal that is just as good mm-hmm. when, and I think crushing is not that essential to the final flavor I agree it's not and, well, and there's been no study it's just anecdotal it's just anecdotal I have, not, I have yet to, to taste the same mezcal and sometimes it's really hard to taste because there's different batches so it's like I know. you know what I mean like but I've yet to come and taste, and some people say yes, and the Thomas Esther says no, and right. like exactly. heard both. That I'm like, even if it's a little bit different, like, okay, if, yeah. if, it's, if it's if it's better for him, and if he's happy, and he's like, you just saved me. It's like, hey, guess what? I got a car for you, and I got a truck for you. You can go bring back the agaves in a truck, and you don't have to go by, you know, by donkey. Yeah, it's like, oh my god, you know, okay, I mean, let's do that. that. That's pretty <laughs> amazing. You know what I mean? Like that would be really cool. Like I can do one run, yeah, and that's it, and put it into a truck, and I Dude, come like. The modernization is not that bad of a thing. No, it's really not. No, it's just a long, a long and modernization in 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 uh, you know, you, you only in bits and pieces. Like you have to be careful. Yeah, exactly. Not to go into like you know, not to criticize tequila, but like into the more industrial side. That then then you're stripping a lot of flavors and character and life away from what tequila once was. Absolutely. And that's where that's where the the line is that you have to. And we got you know we had so much more that we'll have to talk about over time and stuff, man. Especially if you come into town, but. It's really been a pleasure, but I got one last question for you. Yeah. And of course, we could talk about this topic for a long time, and in a good way, positive yeah, yeah. way, you know. But let's say you're sipping the Puebla, the Mezcal de Leyenda Puebla, right? With anyone living or deceased, who would you love to? I don't know. You could take this table, you could take the bar, but just sip and have a conversation with. You know, it's, it's funny you ask because I just right now on the plane, I was watching a kind of. It's like a documentary uh, show about uh, bartenders, and it was uh, Richard um, Richard McMahon, the guy who did the the, the cocktail book bar. Um, he's oh. from Germany. Um, oh yeah, yeah, okay. And, and I'd never heard about him. I'm new to kind of the industry, um, and so he was kind of all around New York, and he was interviewing all these like you know Sasha Petrasky and right. Julie Reiner and and all the ones, and and then he went to uh, Cuba, and then he went to. Uh, 
to Japan. And in Cuba, of course, they were talking about uh, Ernest Hemingway and course, the Daiquiri. Yeah. And I was like, you know, and I, and I was like, you forget how much of a, or I forget how much of a, of, a, of a drunk he was and how much he enjoyed that I think. And they were talking about, like, he, had, he knew if he went to this one bar, he could get his daiquiri and it would take 20 minutes to get to the other bar, uh -huh. La Floridita. And when he get there, he'd always get it, like, it'd be finished and he'd be ready for his other one. Yeah. That I think it would be amazing to, uh, to sit back and have some, uh, you know, like, mezcal daiquiris with, uh, Dude. with Ernest Hemingway. I think yeah, it'd be a pretty, I think it'd uh, be great. I, Just, it'd be I don't want to take a punch. Do you know can get to that? Yeah. So, well, yeah. I'm glad, man, Danny, I'm really glad you're in town. And I can't wait to hear kind of what you got come up here with the staff training and stuff. And I can't wait to sip some of with you over dinner. So man, dude, thanks sure. so much for sitting down nah, chatting, no, no. man. Thank you for, uh, for having me on. Of course, dude. We'll talk Fun soon. Talking, yeah. yeah. Likewise. So there we have it. A brilliant chef and mezcal purveyor, Mr. Danny. Man, what do you guys think? Pretty great dude, right? Sitting down chatting with him. And it's funny because there are a lot of really, really... Would, would you say popular or visible people in the narrative of agave and danny kind of does this thing you know he does it in the background in some sense not a lot of social media presence but the marks from mezcales de leyenda are all very interesting and all very delicious you have stuff from guerrero one of the few that is in the states you've got puebla which is absolutely amazing san luis potosi that alien like cheesiness that you only get from that state so it's a brilliant collection of mezcales and get a chance to try them please do so thanks everybody for listening to show to v with mike g no matter how fast you are binging through both futurama and 30 rock or if you're thinking man halloween is just around the corner how excited am i please keep dancing <laughs>